A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, U.S.A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General, General Cigar, cigar Dave. Dave. This is a special presentation of the Cigar Dave Show. America at war with the Chinese virus. With the latest intel, here's the Global General, Cigar Dave. When the United States of America has lost more lives to the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus than we lost in the Korean War and the Vietnam War, you can absolutely be sure we are not only at war with China, but we have entered World War III. A shot may not have been fired and may never be fired, but make no mistake, we are at war with the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, the CHICOMs, Red China. We're looking at over 70,000 deaths here in the United States by, as President Trump would say, that invisible enemy. Well, it's an enemy that the Chinese Communist Party knew full well about and choose to hide, choose to suppress. In fact, when the Chinese Communist Party officials were in the Oval Office to sign the trade deal, the $200 billion stage one or phase one of the Chinese-American trade deal, the Chinese Communist Party officials knew full well what was going on in Wuhan. They knew. There was a ravaging pandemic in the making. They suppressed it. They hid it. They went to the White House, never mentioned a word, knowing full well what could transpire. They shut off travel, air travel, and rail travel between Wuhan and the rest of China, yet they continued to allow international travel from Wuhan Airport all across the world. Seeding the invisible enemy, as President Trump calls it, across the globe. And so here we are. What could have been prevented with cooperation, with transparency by the Chinese Communist Party, has been cloaked in secrecy. And we've got over 70,000 deaths, American deaths are approaching that. Korean War, 33,700 deaths, American casualties, American deaths. In Vietnam, 58,209 to be specific. The Chinese Wuhan virus, and I don't care what age someone is, whether they're 100, 90, 80, or they're 8. As President Trump said, one life is way too many. And this could have been prevented. As always, I am not going to suppress my beliefs in what's going on with China. We'll talk about China. Their backs are against the wall. They know that not only the United States of America, but the world hates China more than ever. China, the Chinese Communist Party, they are in trouble, and they know it. And they could fall without a shot being fired. But speaking of shots being fired, 
From 1939 until 1945, the world was involved in World War II. The United States entered World War II December 7th, 1941, a day that shall live in infamy. When the Japanese, Imperial Japanese, attacked our installation at Pearl Harbor, and we were full-scale into the war. Well, yesterday marked the 75th anniversary of VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, which marked the end of World War II in Europe. On April 30th, 1945, that rat bastard, son of a bitch, enemy of humanity, enemy of the world, Adolf Hitler, leader of the Nazi Third Reich, committed suicide during the Battle of Berlin. Oh, how I would have loved for General George S. Patton to get a hold his hands on that son of a bitch. Could you hear Patton right now? Just getting his hands on him and going to town. Going to town for all the atrocities. Make it painful. Let every troop, I'll tell you what, what they should have done, it's too bad that he was, that Hitler really in the end turned out to be a, just a weakling bastard. Big tough guy when he could put everybody into the concentration camps. When all of a sudden the world caught on to him and the world was about to end his reign, took the cyanide pills. How I would have loved for Pres or for General George S. Patton and the American troops, the Allied troops, to get their hands on him, or anybody that was liberated from the concentration camps. So he commits suicide. His successor, Reich Spassident Karl Donitz, authorized surrender. On the 7th of May in Reims, France, the final document signed May 8th in Berlin, in Deutschland, in Germany. So therefore, VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, is celebrated May 8th of every year. Yesterday, President Trump went to Arlington, the Arlington National Cemetery, and paid his respects to all the World War fallen troops. He was joined there by numerous World War II veterans. Great to see. There was one, I think, 93 or 94-year-old veteran loaded with medals. Loaded with medals. Wonderful to see. President Trump, Melania Trump, First Lady, uh, certainly paid their proper respects. VE Day. Very big. I know Mick the Brit sent me a video of the, the uh, Royal Air Force on display over London celebrating with the flyover of London appropriately. So a big day, and I remind Mick, of course, every day I speak to him, every, every year. Wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the Americans. Otherwise, in Europe, they wouldn't be talking like this. They would be talking, Ja Volter Kamidant. That's how they would be talking if it weren't for us. God bless the great Allied troops, the great General George S. Patton. You know that I'm a huge fan of the great General George S. Patton. Eisenhower, yes, but Patton was the man. So, happy VE Day. Now, let's get back to the People's Republic of China. But before I do, as always, let me extend to you my long-ash greetings and salutations, a long-ash snappy salute. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. MAGA AA. MAG AA. Make America great again, again. 
That is going to be President Trump's slogan as he made America great again, but thanks to the Chinese Communist Party and their illicit ways, the entire world and the United States economy, world health, American health has been attacked. But President Trump will lead the way again. Now, I realize that nobody's perfect. No administration is perfect. After World War II, you go back and you analyze what went right, what went wrong. After 9-11, we did the same thing. And we should do the same thing after we successfully defeat the CCP Wuhan virus. Now is not the time. And furthermore, it is never a time in a situation like this for partisanship. The enemy is not President Trump. The enemy is not the Republican Party. The enemy, frankly, right now is not the Democrats. The enemy, let's make no mistake, the enemy is the Chinese Communist Party. Nancy Pelosi, a schmuck Schumer, as I like to call him, they're going after the wrong people. They're criti- you can criticize President Trump, no problem. But now to have hearings, it should be impartial. It should not be done by Congress. It should be done by impartial, non-political people. Business people, scientific people, it should not be partisan in any, any way, shape, or form. There's plenty of blame to go around. We can blame President Trump for certain things. We can blame President Obama. We can go back to President Bush. There are plenty of fingers we can point. At this point, it does no good. It is what we are doing today, right now, that counts. Now, I've got a lot to get into today. In the second hour, one of the the major, major criticisms I have is the fact that the liberal media is doing the bidding for the Chinese Communist Party. Who needs Chinese Communist Party propaganda and disinformation when you have the liberal media, CBS, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, and uh, uh, CNN doing all of their bidding. We'll get to that a little bit later. But today we will talk in the second hour with Bill Kerry, who is a 40-year network and local news executive veteran, talking about the state of broadcast and cable news. Because what I am seeing at some of these press conferences and briefings, the questions, the way they are pointing them at President Trump, no matter what he does, they're going after him. They're attacking him. When I heard a question asked of President Trump that 40,000 or 45,000 Americans have died. Why do you deserve another term when so many people, Americans, have died? That is nothing more than a blatant attack gotcha question. That is an unfair question. In no way, shape, or form did President Trump invite the Chinese Wuhan virus to come to the United States. In fact, when he did shut down travel, what did all the Democrats in the liberal media, what do they do? What do they, how do they attack President Trump? You're a racist. You're xenophobic. Viruses don't know borders and don't know walls. That's what we heard. That was the rhetoric. And we know that to be not the case. The fact of the matter is, by President Trump shutting down, he did prevent. I, at the time, stated that we should shut down all international travel. Europe, Asia, Africa, Antarctica, the Arctic, you name it, the North Pole, South Pole, I don't care where, we should have shut it down and locked it down. And isn't it ironic 
that in the People's Republic of California, where Governor Newsom, who was so against building the wall and stopping illegal aliens from coming into the United States from Mexico and Central America, isn't it ironic that with the increase of infection rate of the Chinese Wuhan virus in Mexico that now he wants to prevent any immigration, any people coming from Mexico? Is that not ironic? Is that not calling the kettle black? Absolutely amazing. But the Chinese Communist Party, their back is to the wall. Make no mistake, they are the enemy of America. They are the enemy of the world. They have gone in in a predatory basis around the world with their one belt, one road initiative, going in and building up assets for countries, whether it is a dam in Ecuador, whether it is a, a, a new railroad line in Iran, whether it is a power plant in Portugal or ports, seaports in Greece, they go into countries that are broke, that no way can they ever afford paying back loans from Chinese banks to build projects in their countries built by Chinese contractors and run by Chinese companies. And when they can't pay it back, what does China do? They, and the country defaults? Well, they foreclose. And what do they do when they foreclose? Not only do they get the asset, but as collateral, they also get the natural resources of a country. Natural resources in Africa, in Ecuador, whether it's oil, whether it's diamonds, whether it, it you name it, they go after it. And so Africa, Asia, Europe, all began to despise China going back over a year ago. And now with the Chinese Wuhan virus, they absolutely despise China, not only for harming and killing, murdering the people of their country, the people of the world, but murdering the economies of the world. Did any of you, when you woke up the end of February, Think that just less than three weeks later, the entire nation would be shut down, that air travel would come to a halt, that restaurants would be closing, that, that malls and real estate would be vacant, would be empty, that we'd see a slew of retailers going Chapter 11. The Hertz, huge rental car company, going Chapter 11. Why? Nobody's traveling. Nobody's renting a car. No business. Beijing and the CCP is worried, and they damn well should be. We have entered World War III without a shot even being fired. President Xi Jinping has been briefed by his Ministry of State that rising anti-China sentiment in the wake of the CCP Wuhan virus is now rampant across the globe. And by the way, we don't call it COVID-19. That's a BS politically correct, made-up term. We're going to call it what it is, this Chinese Communist Party, the CCP Wuhan virus. And I get a kick when every so often I'll see somebody on social media or will uh, a listener will email me saying, no, it's the, it's the COVID-19 virus. It's, it's, it's not. It is not the CCP Wuhan virus. And in fact, I've been the subject of several attacks by Chinese nationals, these 50 centers, what they call, where they pay the Chinese Communist Party 
pays these trolls 50 cents per tweet and reply to go after anybody that has any anti-China sentiment around the world. I am proud to wear those stripes that I have been attacked saying, why am I being so mean? Why am I so racist? I hate the Chinese Communist Party. I despise them. I wish nothing but the worst for them. If you look at China, there's 1.5 billion people. The Chinese people, these are people that don't want to live under Chinese communist rule and oppression. They want to live in freedom. They are not our enemy. There are 1 million members of the Chinese Communist Party. If you're going to do business in China or you want to accede or succeed, you must join the CCP. Of 1 million members, there's really 1,000, of which there's a subset of 50 to 100 that rule the roost in China. Those 1,000 must be annihilated. They must be eliminated by any way, shape, or form. They are the enemy of the world. They are the enemy of the Chinese people. Communists do not care about their own people. They could care less. In fact, President Xi Jinping knew full well what was going on in Wuhan. He knew full well early January what was taking place, yet he did not order the stoppage of a massive Lunar New Year potluck supper in Wuhan where 80,000 people share food and get together in one giant area, seating the Chinese Wuhan virus to thousands and then hundreds of thousands and then millions of people. So he has been briefed. He knows the world hates them. The Chinese Communist Party's back is up against the wall. The briefing concluded that global disapproval of China is at its highest rate ever, higher than the 1989 Tiananmen Square crackdown. Look at public opinion. Look at the actions being taken by governments around the world, not just the United States. The only people that don't seem to understand this are the globalists that want to continue transacting with China that don't care about doing business with the 21st century equivalent of the Nazi party or Adolf Hitler. They don't care. It's all about saving two nickels for them. The Wall Streeters, the Goldman Sachs, the investment firms, the private equity money. They'll ship their companies over there, their, their manufacturing arms over there, their factories. They don't care what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. They don't care that the CCP is the enemy not only of America and the world. All they care about is a nickel to the detriment of world's population. How much money, I, I ask, have we saved? How much money has the world saved and the United States have Americans saved from China by making their products overseas. Any savings were wiped out in the first day where this country's economy was essentially closed. Businesses, livelihoods destroyed. Lives destroyed. How much did we save? I ask you to every one of the, you companies, you CEOs, who've moved your supply chain, that make your pharma products over there, that make your crappy t-shirts, that make every piece of garbage that comes to the United States that's imported from China. How much have we saved? The two nickels that we saved by making some piece of garbage product has been wiped out, wiped out in a nanosecond 
by the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus. A recent Pew poll in the United States shows rising disapproval of China among members of both political parties. 66% of Americans now disapprove of China. I would bet it's far higher today. In fact, a world poll that was done, 91% believe the United States should be the world's leading power, not China. What does that tell you? And yet, here we have Huawei still wanting to bring their 5G network into the United States. Huawei was going to sell all their Chinese 5G gear into the United Kingdom. Boris Johnson ignored a phone call, a plea from President Trump several months back saying, don't do it. They're going to have back doors. Huawei is involved with the Chinese Communist Party. They are nothing more than a subsidiary of the CCP and their military. Boris Johnson didn't listen to President Trump. Well, my, my, what a difference six weeks makes. President, or Prime Minister Boris Johnson, the entire British Parliament, they've all come out now saying China is the enemy and we will not be buying any products from China, let alone the Huawei 5G gear. Thanks for waking up, Boris. It's about damn time. We have been asking the United States, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, the world has been asking to go into the Wuhan lab and inspect the lab. They have asked to not only go into the lab, they have asked for all the data. They want to see what has gone on, what happened with that virus. Now, frankly, there's no doubt in my mind it escaped from the Wuhan lab. Was it accidental? Was it deliberate? That remains to be investigated. But nonetheless, why did China order the doctors that initially discovered this in December? Why did they order them to stop talking about it? Why did they jail them? One of the doctors ended up dying from the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus. Why did they order all the journals and all the DNA sequencing and RNA sequencing destroyed? And yet today, China has the chutzpah to say, oh no, we've been transparent. We're part of the solution, not part of the problem. I'm just getting started. I hate the CCP, and you should too. Get the latest cigars, hand-picked by the general, each month, delivered straight to your door. When you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club for just $22.95 a month, you'll receive three premium cigars in a customized Ziploc Cigar Dave pouch. To join, go to CigarDave.com. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. 
The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. This is continuing coverage of America at War Against the Chinese Virus. Here's more from the Global General, Cigar Dave. If you can't go out to dinner, if you don't have a job, if you've lost your job, you've been furloughed. If your travel schedule, your vacation schedules have been disrupted. If your health has been affected. If you have a loved one, a friend that passed away because of the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus. You need to blame one and only one group, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, President Xi and his CCP bastards. That's who you blame, not the Republicans, not President Trump. Some in the liberal media haven't figured that out, and many globalists, many people that are on the take, also haven't figured that out from both parties. China, their back is up against the wall. The CCP knows it. They are getting hammered. They know that their supply chains will be disrupted, meaning their exports will drop to zero. Chinese manufacturing will drop dramatically. And if that happens, China, as we know it, is dead. Their economy is over. They go back to what it was like under Mao, a primitive third world economy with peasants and people starving in the streets. They will go back 40 years because until President Nixon opened up relations, diplomatic relations with Red China, and all of a sudden over the last 30 years we allowed China into the World Trade Organization and we allowed China legitimacy when they never follow any of the laws or regulations. They never do any of that. Yet we allowed them to have a full seat at the table. And now when you look at the seats they occupy, for example, in the United Nations, here are some of the UN chiefs you may not know about. Feng Lui, or Feng Lu, International Civil Aviation Organization, the ICAO, very powerful organization. Ku Dongyu is head of food, the UN Food and Agricultural Organization. Li Yong, head of the UN Industrial Development Organization. Hu Lin Zhao, head of the International Telecommunications Unit. China now heads more UN specialized agencies than any other country in the world. What does that tell you? China has been infiltrating our education system, the economy, world organizations. They don't want fairness. They want to dominate. End of discussion. China now, their back is against the wall. They're lashing out on social media against President Trump, against Secretary of State Pompeo, 
against people in the public eye that are criticizing them. Chinese media is now blaming Trump for a wave of hate against Asians. I don't hate Asians. Most of I'd say virtually no Americans hate Asians. If they did, they wouldn't be eating at Chinese and Japanese restaurants and Korean restaurants in the manner that they do. They wouldn't be patronizing those restaurants. I don't hate Chinese people. I don't hate the Japanese people. I hate the Chinese Communist Party officials. Big difference. And guess what? The Chinese people, the Chinese citizens, hate the Chinese Communist Party officials. So what are they doing? The CCP is now coming out. They're, they're, they're throwing it all on the table. They're coming out. They're ambassadors. They're foreign minister. They are now retaliating and trying to turn the blame around. What do you do when you know you're wrong? You shift the blame. Point the finger in the other direction. Perfect case. The Chinese ambassador to the United States, Q Tinkai, uh, op-ed published in the Washington Post, entitled, Ignoring the Facts to Blame China Will Only Make Things Worse. Now, here's the kicker. When the European Union sent an op-ed editorial to the state-run China Daily, not only was it blacklisted by China, China told the EU that they wouldn't run it unless certain changes were made. Well, guess what? The changes were made. And the Chinese Communist Party still had a problem with it. They wouldn't publish it in China, their China Daily that runs in, that, that, that's printed in China. They don't want their people to know what's going on in the real world. And here's the kicker. What, and listen to this. Since China, this is what Ambassador Qu Tingkai had to say, and I will give some rebuttals here. Since January, China has fought a tough battle against the novel coronavirus and made remarkable progress. In this unprecedented fight, China spared no expense to save lives. That's BS number one. They spared no expense to save lives? Well, they could have saved lives across the world in the United States. They didn't. Could have saved lives in China. But President Xi Jinping, for eight days, kept the knowledge about the Chinese, the CCP Wuhan virus, a secret. Didn't tell anybody. Ambassador goes on, however, an unnecessary burden has been distracting our focus and undercutting international efforts, efforts to curb the virus. The absurd mindset of always blame China. Well, excuse me, Ambassador Bastard Tinkai. China is solely responsible for the virus being leaked from the Wuhan lab and then spreading and you not cutting off travel to the rest of the world and then hiding it. So please, spare us. Americans are not dumb lemmings. We're not your Chinese citizens that you can hide things from. He said, simply put, for some people, China has to be wrong regardless of the facts. When China provided updates about the outbreak, they labeled objective facts as disinformation and propaganda. The nature of China's political system dominates the content of their attacks, and the Communist Party is the ultimate target of their barrage, because it is the CCP, precisely, that withheld the information about the CCP Wuhan virus. It is the CCP that stockpiled and hoarded PPE, personal protective uh, gear. Across the world, they soaked it up like a sponge, only to then turn around and sell it back at a profit. 
It says, as China's situation improved, the number of confirmed cases and fatalities skyrocketed elsewhere. Promptly, a few American politicians switched to their default setting of blaming others, ignoring that China has done its best in responding to a new virus. They persistently accuse China of delays and cover-ups, and some even demand a reckoning with China. This ambassador, Kui Tingkai, is freaking delusional. Put this guy in a home. Put him in a mental institution. Clearly, he's got a severe mental disorder. China is solely to blame for the delays and cover-ups. Solely. Point the finger at your CCP, at your Chinese Communist Party, and President Xi. I mean, this is beyond outrageous. It says, he goes on to say, China was then blamed for providing second-rate supplies with quality control problems. Excuse me? You sent a half million tests that are defective to the UK. You've got a million masks that were shipped to, to Canada, our neighbors to the north, that are faulty, that don't work. So please, stop the lying, stop the nonsense. The reason you're being blamed is because you are to blame. He says, the World Health Organization has spoken highly of China's epidemic response, which led to conspiracy theories charging that China has either bought the WHA or exerted political pressure on the agency. Excuse me, once again, you have exerted political pressure on the agency. When Taiwan reported they had an unusual respiratory virus, making way in their country in December. And they sent numerous emails to the World Health Organization. The CCP stated that they should ignore Taiwan because they don't recognize Taiwan as, legitimate being, as being legitimate. So therefore, what do the WHO do under Tedros, who is in the back pocket of China? They simply ignored it. So please, conspiracy theories that China has bought or exerted political pressure it's true, not conspiracy theories. He says, is China really to blame? Here are facts. First, China has taken strict measures, made huge sacrifices to keep the virus in check that has not only saved lives at home, but also bought precious time for the world. So did you keep the virus in check, Ambassador King Kai? And did the CCP keep the CCP Wuhan virus in check by stopping all international travel? No. When President Trump did stop travel from China, the WHO attacked him and castigated him, as did the CCP and President Xi and all his underlings. You didn't buy time. We could have had time. Had you warned the world, that would have bought time. So please, let's cut the BS. He says, second, China has done its best to share information about the virus. On December 27th, a doctor in Hubei province reported three suspicious cases. Oh, would that be the doctor that you summoned and castigated and make him retract and then threatened to jail him if he didn't retract? Is that the physician you're referring to, Ambassador Tinkai? And then they go on, he goes on to say that within a week, China began briefing the WHO, the U.S., other countries. Third, he said, we shared information with the U.S. at the earliest possible time and have been supporting the fight against the disease. The two countries' Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and government agencies have been in close communication since January 4th. Notice he doesn't say 
they have worked together that the CDC was allowed unfettered access to the lab and to see where patient zero came from. Notice he didn't say that. It's all how they structure this. And then he says, by April 29th, China had provided more than 4 billion masks to the United States, or roughly 14 for every American on average. He didn't provide anything. They sold it at inflated, outrageous prices to the United States and to American health institutions. Please, spare us the BS. We're not the people that you suppress in China. We know full well just how evil, ruthless, cunning, and what bastards the Chinese communists really are. We know it. He goes on to end saying, behind the mindset of always blame China is a kind of dirty politics, championed by a few people who shift the spotlight for political gain. And their manipulation, China, has to be wrong. It is this blame shifting that needs transparency. Transparency. Blaming China will not end this epidemic. On the contrary, the mindset risks decoupling China and the United States and hurting our efforts to fight the disease, so on and so forth. Interesting word, decoupling. What have I told you? What did I start telling you five, six weeks ago? You watch. There will be a decoupling of the supply chains from China to the United States. What does that mean? That means American companies will pull out of China. American companies will stop purchasing products and their goods from China. Notice how the ambassador to the United States from China, from the CCP, says the mindset risks decoupling China and the U.S. It's not going to hurt us. They're the ones that are now worried. Deep down, they are scared. They are shaking and quaking in their boots. They know it. They know it's over. If we decouple and the world decouples, China is dead, done, finished. Bye-bye. Adios, mofo commie bastards. And then he wraps it up. Last sentence. The United States would not emerge as a winner from this scenario. Are you kidding me? You're going to threaten us, you Chinese communist prick? Please. The United States would not emerge as a winner? Trust me when I tell you this. Ambassador King Kai, mark my words, the United States will not lose. One thing about the United States, you can push us and then sooner or later we wake up. For the last 30 years, we've been asleep. Most Americans have been asleep. I haven't. President Trump hasn't. We knew the threat from China. But most people look the other way for saving a nickel or a penny. Now they have awoken. And when you awoken, awaken a sleeping giant, this nation will not hesitate to use force, its economic and its educational and intellectual might. We will destroy the Chinese Communist Party without a shot being fired. Trust me when I tell you, Ambassador, the, by you saying the United States would not emerge as a winner, oh, yes, we would. And you know it. And that's why you're trying to turn this whole story around. We will win. We will destroy you. The supply chains must be decoupled. They must be eliminated. And any American company or American executive, CEO, that does not begin efforts immediately to start disrupting and breaking the dependency on Chinese products and Chinese manufacturing will be looked at 
as a, in a treasonous light. They will be looked at not only as unpatriotic, but as treasonous to the United States of America. To every CEO that may be listening, every American company, I don't care how big or small, you better wake the hell up. You better start bringing products back to the United States. We can make products here. Does it cost a little more? Sure. But then you'll have more Americans that can buy your products. Then we won't have to be dependent like crack whores on the crack coming from China. We're dependent now like crack whores on medications and pharmaceuticals and personal protective gear coming from China because we've shipped it all offshore to China to save a nickel. Well, what have we saved? Nothing. Not a damn thing. And I find it ironic that the Chinese Communist Party, the ambassador from China to the United States, can put it a, a, without any question, can immediately go in and print an op-ed in the Washington Post. Yet, if President Trump or, or if Secretary Pompeo wanted to do the same in China, good luck. Good luck. They suppress their people. Now, I wanted to get to... Dr. Anthony Phony Fauci about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, I will save that for next week. I've got some eye-opening information. When Dr. Phony Fauci, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, make no mistake, I do my research. When he said there's, there's only anecdotal evidence between hydroxychloroquine, well, next week, my fellow alphas, I will tell you why Dr. Anthony Fauci has been lying through his teeth from day one and why he's been lying, and I have the proof in my hand. I have the proof, which consists of about 12 pages in my hand from a medical journal that he himself, it's called Virology Journal, that the NIH publishes. He has known for 15 years that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine works. Now, I'll get to that next week because I'm going to spend probably an entire half hour on that. I've got the information in my hot little hand. When we come back, we'll conduct the National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. Next hour, we'll be joined by Bill Carey, 40-year broadcast news executive, veteran of newsrooms, both local and network, talking about the state of broadcast and cable news, tons of fake news that we are seeing. And I will tell you that much of the fake news that we see on these networks, the bidding being done for the Chinese Communist Party, they're spreading the propaganda and the disinformation for the CCP. We don't even need any of the CCP's people coming in and spewing that information. Why do it when you have CNN and MSNBC, ABC, CBS, and NBC? They're doing the CCP's heavy lifting and dirty work. So we will enjoy the National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony, and once again, the Chinese Communist Party, not the Chinese people. The CCP is our enemy. Screw them. We are in World War III. America will win. The world will win. And China, the Communist Party, will be destroyed and buried for good. Mark my words. The General is now on Instagram. Follow him for pictures of the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. <laughs> that could be interesting. And we'll have to block out some faces. Go to Instagram and search Cigar Dave. In 2020, we have been delivering fantastic cigars to all members of the Cigar Dave Officers Club. And for May, 
We've got a fantastic selection entitled the Rocky Patel Sampler. We're featuring two Rocky Patel edges and a Rocky Patel Sun Grown. First of all, the Rocky Patel Edge Light. It uses a magnificent Connecticut Ecuadorian shade-grown wrapper. It's a mild, mild, medium cigar, creamy with a little bit of sweetness. Then the Rocky Patel Edge Corojo. Fuller, more personality, bold with a wonderful Nicaraguan wrapper. And finally, the Rocky Patel Sungrown. Medium in body with an Ecuadorian wrapper, Brazilian, Dominican, Nicaraguan fillers, a very balanced cigar. Become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get three cigars shipped to you in a Cigar Dave Officers Club pouch. $22.95 per month and you get amazing cigars. Go to CigarDave.com right now, click on Officers Club, and join the Officers Club today. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy and Chinese virus sanitation maneuvers performed, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. A happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there and a special happy Mother's Day to Alpha Mother Piera, my mother. A very happy Mother's Day, Mom. Love you and in your honor. I will be dedicating today's litation and libation ceremony, and I have just pulled out the back-to-back URNY Connecticut, part of the April Cigar Dave Officers Club selection entitled the Davidoff CAB Collection, which features a Camacho Ecuador, an an Avocinco Nicaragua, and a back-to-back Ernie Connecticut. Now, it's a collaboration between Davidoff and the New York artist known as Ernie, or URNY, It's a mild, pleasant cigar, Ecuadorian Connecticut shade wrapper, Mexican binder. It's got uh, beautiful Dominican fillers made in Honduras. I've got the 6x60, about an $8 suggested retail. It's a beautiful cigar launched a few years ago. It's a hidden gem, a winner in the April Officers Club selection, which by now you all should have received. They went out exactly a week ago yesterday. Now... I have just pulled out my self-sharpening double-edged stainless guillotine. I've got for my litation device the CCK, listen to that, the Chinese Kami Killer. So I will cut the end of my cigar. And as I toast the foot of this cigar, I have already poured a special glass of Conundrum Wine, Conundrum White, which is a combination, a blend of Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Chemillon, Muscat Canelli, Muscat Canelli, and Vognier. It is a very, as I puff and rotate, mm, 
They're very pleasant, sweet uh, type of wine. Goes perfect with fish, with cheese, even with some light meats. And I selected it in honor of Alpha Mother Piera, my mother for Mother's Day, which she loves conundrum. That's why I keep about a dozen bottles at all times. The Pleasure Palace, I'll say cheers. Mm. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Hour two of the Cigar Dave Show with Bill Carey, 40-year broadcast news exec, comes your way next. This is A-N-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, U. S.A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General General Cigar Cigar Dave. 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 As I thoroughly enjoy my back-to-back U-R-N-Y, Connecticut cigar made by Davidoff. Beautiful, mild, very creamy, slightly sweet cigar. And in honor of Alpha Mother Piera on this Mother's Day weekend, let me raise a glass and one more time say cheers to her and all the mothers. I've got my Conundrum White. She loves Cabernets. She lo- Correction, Chardonnays, Rieslings, but loves Conundrum, the white, that's why I've selected it. I'll take a sip. And as I do, I welcome you back. We are joined this hour by Bill Carey, 40-year broadcast news exec. I wanted to talk about the state of broadcast and cable news. Tons of fake news out there, especially them doing the bidding for the Chinese Communist Party. The general front and center, we have moved Command Center Alpha for the second hour of the Cigar Dave Show to a clandestine location, cigar-friendly and libation-friendly location, somewhere in the Cigar City. And for this hour, I wanted to spend time looking at the state of broadcast news, a little bit different angle than we normally would discuss here on the Cigar Dave Show. We normally, as you know, talk about alpha male pleasure maneuvers, but we're also educated, we're intelligent, we're up-to-date on current events. And when I see the state of broadcast news in 2020, it is very disturbing. A lot of fake news, as President Trump would say, fake news, lots of fake news. But I brought in a longtime friend, a well-known player in the world of broadcast news, Bill Carey, 40 years in broadcast newsrooms, started at CBS News. He's seen the changes. He is good friends with Jerry Nackman, well-known individual. I think he was one of the people that actually started MSNBC. Bill, longtime cigar connoisseur, great to have you front and center on the Cigar Dave Show. Thank you, General. Pleasure to be home. Pleasure to be here. Now, Bill, let's talk about your background, first of all. You started, most people start on the local side. You actually started on the network side at CBS News with Walter Cronkite. Yeah, that, uh, it all started in a 5,000-watt radio station (laughs) and somewhere that you can't even remember is not my story. I grew up in New York City. I was a graduate of Fordham University, which has turned out a lot of famous journalists and sports people. Uh, A lot of sports, for some reason, a lot of sports announcers, Vince Scully and on down. 
have come from One of the greats. That. Yeah, I one mean, of if the not the greatest greats. baseball announcer of all time. So there was a legacy there and, there, and you took it seriously. I knew that I wanted to go into journalism when I was in high school, so my plan was pretty set, and I thought that the target for me, the ultimate, would be somehow to work at CBS where Walter Cronkite was. And lo and behold, I immediately got a job at CBS right out of college. That was my first job. It was How the hell a, did you do that? It was as a security guard. Oh, well, but hey, listen, I knew. Okay. Did I you knew. Wear a uniform? I know, but I wore a suit and they paid me $10 extra so I could get it cleaned. Hey, that's big. That was the old days when Bill Paley was it, probably. Bill Paley running. was my boss. Bill pa- well, William uh, Paley now owns his son. William Paley owns La Polina Cigars, which yes. traces back to how Bill pa- William S. Paley originally started in the his family was in the cigar business. He started advertising on a small fledgling group of stations called the Columbia Broadcasting System, and it worked so well they ended up buying the network, and the That's rest right. is history. Yes, absolutely. Well, a uh, quick story about that: I got in, and I had confidence in myself. And at that time, CBS, everything was different. And if you were on the inside, you could go on the internal job interviews. So nine months later, after I took that security guard job and all of my friends thought I was crazy, I was working in the CBS News Network newsroom and Walter Cronkite was still on the air. And I was on my way. A couple of years later, I was still only 23 and I was running a whole department inside CBS News. So it was a smart move for me. And... um, I fell in love moonlighting with local news Mm -hmm. while I was at the network. I fell in love with the immediacy of local news, and I never looked back. I moved to the local newsroom from there, uh, and my career took off uh, from that point on. I had the pleasure of coming back years later and was actually able to run that very newsroom, WCBS, in the late 90s. As the news director? As the news director, yes. and worked. You you mentioned Jerry Nackman. I worked with him, and when Jerry left, it was my turn, and I, I ascended into his role. We had some really mon- wonderful times together, Jerry and I. And let's uh, talk about who Jerry was, because well, I mean, well, if you're in the, in, in the, I was going to say cigar business, the broadcasting business, he was a well-known, recognized well, well, first of all, uh, apropos this, this very show, Jerry would always have a cigar in his mouth. And even if it wasn't lit, he was chewing on something almost all the time. And Jerry and I had wonderful nights out smoking cigars and kicking back, telling stories with each other. When you could actually smoke in bars in New York City. Anywhere. Yes, anywhere. anywhere. We're, Good we're old ta- days. We're talking about the old days, yes. Right. Jerry never finished college, but he went to work right away knowing that he wanted to be a reporter, and he found himself on the original Jeopardy show, and he made it as an undefeated champion for the week that he was on. Wow. When CBS found out that he had been on, they prevented him from going back to the Tournament of Champions, which always ended the season. Okay. Jerry will tell you, he's, he's passed away now, but he will tell you that he was one of the few undefeated champions Jeopardy ever had. And <laughs> let's see, uh, who was at the time, I'm trying to remember who hosted that. Was that, uh, it was, was it Art? Uh, Art Fleming? Art Fleming. Yes, it was. Art Fleming. I believe it was. There you go. So Jerry's career was the radio reporter for News Radio 88 at the time, and he was the reporter that broke the Son of Sam arrest story in the summer of 77. It was the biggest story in New York City, and I'm sure everybody listening knows the Son of Sam story. Jerry went on to go to management, something that on-air people don't normally do, and he found himself as the news director in the television station WNBC. WNBC. While Imus and Howard Stern were there on the radio side of things. He went into senior management, and he ran the NBC-owned station in Washington, D.C., and he hated it. And he hated it. Really? And he begged his boss 
to please let him go back to do something else. And he found himself writing a, col a column for the New York Post. Right. This is before uh, Rupert Murdoch bought the New York Post. And from there, he became the editor of the New York Post. And when I met up with him, he had already written two treatments. That One was bought by Jerry Bruckheiser for uh, a movie that he had done. He wrote the original treatment for the Crusaders, which was a reporter news show that was syndicated around the country. And he was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, collecting a check in his mailbox for having done a couple of treatments. When a call came from our bosses, I was working at CBS at the time in Chicago, and the big idea that our bosses had was to put the two of us together. And they brought, So you were at WBBM? I was at WBBM running Channel 2 in Chicago. And Jerry, as news director? As, as news director, interim news director. And okay. it was either stay there or go to New York. Okay. And the bosses talked Jerry into going to New York and having me go in as his wingman. Okay. And we were charged with helping the place get back on track with news. And our boss at the time was Larry Tisch, actually. And he said, look, right. I'm not so worried about the money. I'm not so worried about the ratings, but just make us look good again. And there was a feeling that we hadn't been looking good. Whatever that meant, we understood what it meant. So we brought back real reporting, and our moniker was New York to the bone. And we had a lot of fun bringing colorful people back into the fold. Uh, and when it was Jerry's time to leave and he wanted to go on and do other things, he went on to be the executive producer of Politically Incorrect, a show for on ABC. Oh, it was oh, Politically Incorrect, oh, that's right, yes. at night. And then, he was brought, and then he was brought back to New York to help MSNBC as it tried new programming, and he had his own show. That's right. He, wore, he used to, it was a typewriter right in front of him. Art Deco. That. That's uh, right. It kind of like. suspenders, if I'm not yes, mistaken. He, he that suspenders. Was, they, his suspenders were his trademark yep. on that show. I remember that. And he had a, an aura about him in his set that was uh, akin to Get Me Rewrite and That Gal Friday and the newspapers of yesteryear. But he's very authentic. Uh, very authentic and probably one of the most brilliant minds that I've been around regardless of whether we're talking about news or not. He had an ability to remember things and put things in context that you don't see people do, which made his writing and his columns, because he continued to write, very colorful. And he appreciated being seen and, and known, and he would hang out at a place called Elaine's in New York City for oh, the people place. that are listening. Sure. Elaine has passed away, but that was the who's who every evening where somebody would stop in and have a cocktail and mix it up. You might have the police commissioner of New York City at one table, and you might have Tom Wolfe, the author, at another table. You never knew who you would bump into, but everyone was friendly with everybody. Bill Carey is our guest. We are talking in this hour, kind of a, a unique special, state of broadcast news, and I'll include cable news, state of broadcast and cable news. Bill, with 40 years of major market experience in newsrooms. Uh, and so, Bill, will you basically... Jerry Knackman moves on, you become the news director at WCBS, you stay there, and then you move on. From there, I was uh, a hot commodity, as were some of the people that had jobs like mine for the internet world. Mm -hmm. I had put on a website in New York City, this was the late mid-late 90s, and as the dot-com started to grow, they needed people like myself who had the stripes and credibility of journalism to be pulled into some of these organizations. So. There was a company, it's long gone now, it, it fell apart in the dot-com crisis, but it was named Zetso, as in Is That So? 
And my job was to go around and convince people like me that they should put video on their websites. Because up until then, and we're talking 1999, 2000, right. sure. people forget. But even television websites only had text on it. That's right. And we thought that you could actually make some money if you put video on a website. Who knew? And I'm sure all the TV executives looked at you and said, that's nice, Bill. We're, we're in the TV business. We don't, we don't have time for this little nonsense thing, this Internet thing. It was, but they knew that I was onto something, and I guess I proved myself right. So if I forever get to say thank you to some nice people who brought me in, that I was a pioneer in bringing video into the Internet for news. And now look at it. Now every phone, every computer on your TV, you watch That's video right. through the Internet. It's really That's incredible. Right. And all these streaming you know, systems and so on. So Absolutely. it's incredible. So from there, you went to Detroit, correct? Yeah. I, after, after the Internet experience, uh, I was invited to go to Detroit to help a station that had fallen down. And it was one of my greater experiences. I, I went to a very proud station, WXYZ, which had formerly been owned by ABC, and helped them get it back on track. It was a win-win for everybody. The company appreciated what I did, and I was promoted to a management-level job running a TV station right here in Tampa. And that's how you and I met. That's when we met. And uh, met through uh, the Florida Association of Broadcasters and a fellow cigar connoisseur, and which reminds me that 14 years ago, we actually created a TV show. We started with a special, a Super Bowl special. I think it was like Cigar Dave's Super, uh, Super Bowl special. Super Bowl spectacular. <laughs> right. Yes. And then from there, we did a show called Cigar Dave Tonight, Saturday nights at 11:30, and we had, I wouldn't say limited budget. It was virtually no budget. I would say no budget. No budget. Uh, the higher ups at uh, the owners of that station, uh, they were singing a great tune, but not exactly what uh, they were singing came to fruition however what was interesting is when you take a look at the ratings we were up against saturday night live we had no promotion no budget and our male demos 2554 were almost virtually neck and neck yes they were we were number two in the time period number two and it was actually a hit and it was a lot of fun to produce it and if you remember the buzz in the television station to do a local program because not a lot are right. done outside of news was an extra special treat so it was a it was a mission of fun for the gang to put this together and to be working with you the general That's and right. have and have fun the way that it used to be and right. that was well i'm sure we're going to talk about this but that is what the heritage of local television local radio is all about it's the ingenuity of people doing things for the local market and the reason why it worked here in tampa was because it was live or it was taped live and it was about Tampa, and it was with somebody yourself that people knew from Tampa. And we had our Eddie, our, our band leader. We had like a three-piece band. We had, we had some good times, some libations. We had some great guests, a lot of fun. And again, virtually to create the set. I remember first we had this little cockamamie sign. Then we ended up getting a monitor. But I remember it was a bureaucratic nightmare just to get the monitor behind us. That's right. And we, we got the monitor, and uh, we needed a desk. Well, I happen to be scrounging around through one of the old studios in storage, and I see this tall desk, and I say, this would be great. And they're like, well, that's one of the old news desks. I don't think we can use that. I said, too bad. We're using it, and it actually worked out well. But the moral of the story is all it takes is an idea, and I think today one of the things that we've seen with what's gone on with the social distancing, not only of regular people, but the broadcasters, anchormen, anchorwomen, reporters, guests, 
is that there is a level of authenticity now that we haven't seen in the broadcast news or broadcast cable business in many years. Standard, if a guest is going to come on a show, they're in front of a monitor with a, a shot of the downtown area, whether it's day or night, and they sit there and they're, they're just basically a talking head. Now we're seeing people in their homes, in their offices, in their cigar lounges, whatever the case may be. And I think the authenticity of seeing reporters in a natural state, not a super flashy set, I think that's here to stay. I agree. In the theater world, it's called breaking through the fourth wall, that imaginary wall that's in front between you and the audience. You have, a, you have walls on the left and the right and behind you. The wall between you and the audience is not there until right. you break through it, you realize it. And I think that's what's going on for a lot of people that have relied too much on the protection of a desk. Right. And let's face it, perfect lighting, perfect makeup, perfect right. everything. And now they have to really think about how they're going to communicate and connect with people. And I think focusing on that probably is something that people are realizing they could have been paying more attention to all along. Well, ultimately, Bill, it always goes to the mantra, content is king. And if you have someone compelling, someone interesting, somebody entertaining, such as this five-star right here, it makes no difference whether you're doing the show on a fancy set or you're doing it from their home cigar lounge or from their outdoor backyard of the pooch pit with Colonel Ange. The bottom line is if it's compelling and interesting and entertaining, people will watch it. That's right. Very simple. So you talk about Colonel Ange, and he is authentic and himself whenever he's appeared, and that's the beauty of it. You right. know that. The audience is very smart. They are perceptive and they can see it. And so when you are yourself, when you're genuine, and this is a mantra that I've worked on for the last 25, 30 years of my managing news departments, the more authentic, the more genuine you can be, the greater your chance that the audience is going to appreciate it. And you just have to trust the audience to recognize that and then support you by coming to you because there's something about what you do that just resonates with them better. Bill Carey, a veteran, 40-year veteran of major market newsrooms at CBS Network. We're talking state of broadcast and cable news, and this brings me to where we are today. We hear the president always saying, fake news, fake news. And let me give you a perfect example of what I saw a couple of days ago and, and what's really been going on, uh, more apparent than ever, I think the last six, eight weeks. With the CCP Wuhan virus, President Trump decides we've got to shut down air travel from China. Now, personally, if it were me, I would have shut down international air travel everywhere, period. He does it. He is lambasted. He's called a racist. He's called xenophobic. Everybody gets up in arms. How dare you? This is against you. You are singling out a single a class of people and viruses don't know borders, don't know walls. And I'm thinking to myself, his job, his fiduciary responsibility, first and foremost, beyond anything, is national security, protecting the citizens of the United States of America. So he makes that decision. Instead of some of the networks saying, look, he made this decision, they start jumping and attacking, whether it's CNN or MSNBC, they start doing the exact same thing. It's racist, it's xenophobic, they bring all these guests on. And then we see it continuing to the point where no matter what he does with hydroxychloroquine. And now the studies have come out that from the French researchers that it's actually a very good treatment if you get it early on. And furthermore, as I talked about in the first hour of the show, that in Virology Journal in 2005, 
Anthony Fauci's uh, own division within the NIH, the headline in the journal article says, chloroquine, an effective prophylactic and therapeutic against coronaviruses. Now, that's the information. Now, if Barack Obama would have said that, I really believe the media would have said, President Obama is farsighted. He's got the foresight to, to make sure that, to, to, to look at all new treatments and, and, and he's, he's protecting the American people, but because it's President Trump, the attacks were just incessant. And I think people in general, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, non-politically affiliated, I think there's a huge level of distrust between the broadcast, cable, and the print media and the citizens of this country today. And it's, it was never like that going back 30 years. I mean, I'm sure Walter Cronkite may have been, had liberal leanings. Peter Jennings definitely did, but you didn't see it manifest the way you do today. No, there was greater respect to present all sides, and I think that's something that's faded. And from my perch, the advent of cable news and trying to figure out how to keep a consistent audience is where this all began. And so uh, CNN lived for a long time with waiting for a big story to break. And that's when the spike would happen. Right. And that's when they would prove themselves worthy. And, you know, for years they were. If you go back to oh, some phenomenal. of the big stories of our time, the first Gulf War comes to mind. They were on top of it. And they were wonderful in their reporting. But they had a taste of the honey and they wanted to continue to make money. And this is ultimately the downfall where you mix journalism and entertainment and you try to create an audience that's going to be steady and be there all the time. The truth is there isn't always a great war to cover or a great coronavirus to cover. But in between, they wanted to create programming. And there's nothing more dangerous than taking the news and turning it into a commodity as if it's entertainment. And it became that. Now, I pick on CNN. If anybody follows me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is Bill Carey 2 Bill Carey the number two. And I often take on CNN in my personal Twitter account because I'm offended that the people that say they are the most trusted name in news would have a lineup where every hour is another host. I'm not calling them anchors anymore. Right. And they offer their opinion before they tell you what the headlines of the day are. In fact, I dare anybody to tell me a full hour of CNN programming that's just news anymore. It doesn't exist. And so I go after them because they set their, their, they set their perch as the standard for everyone else. If you're in the news business, if you're working in New York City or any other major market, there's a good chance that you're influenced by watching cable news when you get up to get read in and what's going on and you might read your local paper, but you also watch cable. So this is dangerous because it plants seeds in people's heads. Bill Carey, our guest, longtime friend, fellow cigar connoisseur, 40 years, major market newsrooms. We're talking about the state of broadcast and cable news. The General is always on Twitter, delivering breaking news, giving you the latest intel on cigars, and battling the enemies of pleasure. Chat with the General now at Cigar Dave Show. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. 
Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. State of broadcast and cable news in the era of the CCP Wuhan virus, Bill Kerry, our guest. We talk about CNN. I remember when CNN started, Ted Turner, swashbuckling entrepreneur, always enjoyed a cocktail. I remember he made the rounds. I was working at one of the TV stations in Buffalo. I was in high school, actually. And he was making the rounds across the country on this publicity tour talking about CNN, cable news network. And I tell you, CNN at the time when it first came on was revolutionary because they had anchors that came from local television that knew how to present news, that thought on their feet. Here's one of the areas I think CNN has lost their way, and I really believe this. The headquarters of CNN was in Atlanta, not New York, not Washington, not L.A. It was not in this political beltway bubble. It was really, when you think about it, Atlanta may not be considered the heartland, but it's real America. It was not in one of the giant media uh, uh, beltways, if you will. And when they started moving all the shows, when Time Warner took it over, they started moving their headquarters and all the shows to New York, CNN changed dramatically because of that liberal influence. But I'll tell you, back in the day, I mean, I can remember when they had Crossfire. It was, it was you had somebody on the right, somebody on the left. You had two guests with a black you know, uh, a screen in the background, and it was compelling. It was entertaining television, but they talked about the issues of the day without everybody screaming and going crazy. I really believe when CNN was acquired by Time Warner and they moved to New York, they lost their way. Well, they were also jealous of the success of the Fox News Channel, uh, which burst on the scene in the mid to late 90s and had instant success because it played to a group of people they, who believed that they didn't have a place to get their news from. And they did a very good job of programming the news and of presenting it. And they packaged it nicely. There was a great jealousy in the CNN ranks about that. And uh, most people know the name Lou Dobbs. But Lou Dobbs was positioned to be up against Fox and have a right-leaning... People forget this, but CNN experimented with trying to lean to the right, trying to gain back some of the audience they believed had gone to Fox, that had left them. Right. And they did it horribly because it wasn't in their DNA. No, but people, and Lou Dobbs had a show called Moneyline for years and correct. years that was on, I think I want to say 7 o'clock, 6 or 7 o'clock. Yes. And it was uh, Lou Dobbs, Myron Kandel. And I remember, we'd watch it. My father would watch it. I would watch it. 
And, I mean, Lou was one of the vice presidents of CNN. People Correct. don't realize that. That's Not right. only was he on air, he was also an executive. And you're right. He, they did start to explore some issues, not just on the left, and when he tried to do that, they castigated him. Especially right. with immigration and the border wall, that was the end of it. MSNBC, you mentioned Jerry Nackman, they tried to go right-leaning. It didn't work. And so they went the other way and tried to build left-leaning program. At least they're honest about it. They, you don't find any NBC executive saying that they're trying to play it down the middle you do still find CNN executives who say and claim that they're trying to play it in the middle, which is nonsense. Well, here, here's a perfect example talking about uh, CNN, and I call it the corrupt news network. Because to me, if you're going to be cable news network, then report it fairly on both sides. So for example, the Me Too movement. We saw all the senators, we saw everybody on CNN. We saw Brian Stelter, their TV media critic, who hosts a show saying, we've got to believe women. Now, I've always felt this, that if somebody makes an accusation, my feeling is, okay, you made the accusation, but let's have a fair hearing. Let's have a fair trial. It's called due process. Due process, okay? Let's, a perfect example is the Duke lacrosse players. The Duke lacrosse players' attorneys had exculpatory evidence showing a, 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 a camera feed from one of the ATMs showing that a number of players weren't even there. And when this supposedly happened, the prosecutor didn't want to listen to it. He played right into the, a segment of the population that said, we must convict immediately. He's got to be guilty. These are rich white kids. Well, I don't care whether you're rich or poor. I believe everybody should be entitled to due process, a fair process. Well, long story short, it turns out after their lives were destroyed in a year, the charges were dropped. They had a special prosecutor come in, and the DA, Mike Nifong, ends up not only losing his job, gets disbarred because of what took place. That's right. So when we look today at the Me Too movement back a year ago, oh, we've Kavanaugh, we got to believe women, got to believe it. Well, my feeling is, okay, if she's making an accusation, let's see the evidence. Let's see what she has to say, and then let's make a decision. Well, now all of a sudden with it's Biden, there's no more we have to believe women, forget Me Too. They've gone from we must believe women to we must hear women, which are two different things. And Brian Stelter never even once mentioned in his show that, hey, Biden is being accused of this and there should be, you know, there hasn't been enough reporting. The reporters had all these and anchors had all these interviews and never asked him. The bias is just so incredible that now people look at it. And again, I used to be a big fan of CNN where now I'm like, what has happened? I think CNN could go back if number one, they would hire someone like you that would come in and say, we gotta just tear this thing down to the studs and move it back to Atlanta. And, and say, we're gonna be fair news, we'll have both sides, we're not gonna have these panels of 10 that feature eight liberals and two conservatives and, and just let people yell and scream nonstop. I, I think that's ultimately how they save it. They have to blow it up to save it because their ratings are dead last. They're having a good run right now as people at home are flocking to news in general and they're putting on a lot of credible news, you know, the news reports of the day, the, the hard news of people living their lives and trying to make ends meet. The problem really becomes with the emphasis that they put on primetime programming and the weight that they give to the hosts of each hour and allowing them to hold these panel discussions and put on people that maybe aren't deserving of getting a wide audience because they just have something to say and keep the the narrative as they call it which is a word i hate but keep the narrative going 
and it's preposterous, it's planned, it's not news. Right. But we're also seeing censorship if you look on the, you know, as we look at news, people are changing the way they, they obtain news. It's not just from the three broadcast networks anymore. It's not just from the three cable networks. Online, whether it is Twitter, Facebook, Drudge Report, Daily Caller, Breitbart, uh, Huffington Post, they have changed how they obtain their news. And now we're seeing, everybody said, well, this is great. We go to the internet. It's free expression. It's not. There's all sorts of censorship going on now at YouTube, at Facebook, at Twitter. And I understand if people say, look, you know, if somebody makes a threat against somebody, that absolutely should be taken off. If you threaten violence or harm to someone, that should be immediately taken off. But if somebody has a differing viewpoint than you, that should not be censored in any way, shape, or form. Let people make up their decisions. And now Facebook announces they're going to have what they're going to call a a panel of 20, essentially there are, people are calling it a Supreme Court of Facebook, where they're putting all these people on there that are going to decide what should stay, what should go. But if you take a look at the people on there, it's overwhelmingly leans to the left. The original network, CBS, NBC, and ABC, have standards, and they have standard books. And it's books, and they're pretty thick. And they're very explicit. And a lot of those standards would be torn to shreds right now if applied against what cable news does in particular. And I find less fault with local news, which still practices some good sound journalism practices. Right. But at the network level where it's been turned into programming and entertainment, it leaves a lot to be desired. Let's talk about standards. You started your career at CBS News. CBS News. Okay. This week, Project Veritas uncovered that CBS News this morning aired fake CCP Wuhan virus drive-through testing uh, showing a line of cars at a testing site and CBS News went to the Cherry Medical Center in Grand Rapids, Michigan and the slant of their story was to show all these people getting testing and I believe they wanted to show that there's huge lines, it's not efficient, we don't have enough tests. Well when CBS News got there they discovered that there was no line. The people were getting tests, moving right through tests. the tests. Well, they, they, had, they had enough tests. They had enough tests, but not only that, there was no line. The cars weren't waiting. They were coming in. Boom. There was Everybody was being taken care of. So CBS went to the hospital and went to employees and asked them to go in their vehicles and line up, get as many people as they could to stage a long line to get a CCP Wuhan virus test. Well, they were caught. And nurses complained. Executives complained. And they got this. That Project Veritas has this on tape. And of course, first CBS News this morning didn't say anything. Then they were forced to admit, yes, they made an error in judgment. That's not an error in judgment. That is absolute bias. That is slanted. That is not in any way, shape, or form in the standard practice in those big books that CBS News this morning or CBS News There were very explicit pages written about this very thing. Look, we're talking about staging something, and there's very strict rules about that at CBS News. They still exist. This was just a bad call by a field producer who wanted the shot to look more full, probably, the way that you put a potted plant behind somebody strategically to make an empty room look better. But there's a big difference between moving a potted plant to make a scene look nice and inviting people to join a line of testing when they're not being tested. Watch the, watch the published report that CBS did and go by that you'll see that the thrust of the conversation is about whether there are enough tests or not. 
And the woman who's being interviewed, who works there, says, oh, no, we have enough tests. What we don't have is enough masks and other protective right. gear. Correct. And she changes the whole pitch of the story. So there's really not much of a story there to start with. Correct. But they tried to make it work the way that they had presumed it was going to work or the way that they had wished it was going to work. They wanted to prove that this was one more place that didn't have enough tests. And it just wasn't that way. There's no reason to ever go into a story and start reporting it with a preconceived notion. And that's, and that's what's happened in that story, and it's what happens more and more these days. People go out with a prescribed thought on what the story is, and then they try to prove it, rather than collect facts and tell a story. You, you need to add some alpha to your Facebook news feed. By following The General, you'll get the latest intel in the world of cigars, info on the show each week, and see what The General is smoking. Click like at Facebook.com slash Cigar Dave. In 2020, we have been delivering fantastic cigars to all members of the Cigar Dave Officers Club. And for May, we've got a fantastic selection entitled the Rocky Patel Sampler. We're featuring two Rocky Patel Edges and a Rocky Patel Sun Grown. First of all, the Rocky Patel Edge Light. It uses a magnificent Connecticut Ecuadorian shade-grown wrapper. It's a mild, mild, medium cigar, creamy with a little bit of sweetness. Then the Rocky Patel Edge Corojo. Fuller, more personality, bold with a wonderful Nicaraguan wrapper. And finally, the Rocky Patel Sungrown. Medium in body with an Ecuadorian wrapper, Brazilian, Dominican, Nicaraguan fillers, a very balanced cigar. Become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get three cigars shipped to you in a Cigar Dave Officers Club pouch. $22.95 per month and you get amazing cigars. Go to CigarDave.com right now, click on Officers Club, and join the Officers Club today. Hi, I'm Rocky Patel. After 15 years of hard work, I'd like to introduce you to the Rocky Patel 15th Anniversary Cigar made at our factory in Esteli, Nicaragua. This cigar showcases a beautiful, oily Habano wrapper from Ecuador. Fillers from Esteli, Jalapa, and Condega make up a rich, complex, spicy taste with a lot of full flavor. The Decade, another one of our masterpieces. Made in Honduras, beautiful Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper with secret fillers. It received a 95 rating, one of the highest rated cigars ever in Cigar Aficionado. This medium to full bodied cigar is rich, complex, yet elegant and well balanced. 15 years ago, they thought we'd never make it in the business. 10 years ago, they thought we'd never last. Five years ago, they started paying attention. Now, we're right where we belong, in your hand. So enjoy the 15th anniversary and the decade these cigars will deliver. State of broadcast and cable news in the era of the CCP Wuhan virus, Bill Carey, our guest, 40-year veteran, major market newsroom, started at CBS News in New York. He's seen all the changes that have taken place in broadcast news, fellow cigar connoisseur. By the way, how are you enjoying that FSG cigar that I this gave This is you? a very nice smoke, very full-bodied, great taste. Don't I'll think I've had one before. No, that's grown. Actually uses Florida sun-grown tobacco from... Jeff Borowitz's uh, Corona Cigar Farm in Claremont, right in the center part of Florida. So a great, uh, great stick. You cannot go wrong. You know, it's interesting, Bill, because when 
you look at the state of broadcast news, cable news today, I find it interesting that it's almost as if it's a slow news day. They have to contrive and manufacture things. And I don't care if you're President Trump, President Obama. Look, I wasn't a big President Obama fan, but there were times that sometimes Fox went after him, and I said, you know, that's really kind of lame. There's really no reason to do it. I didn't agree with everything, but when he was right on something, I'd say, yep, I agree with him. When he wasn't, I disagree. But the level of vitriol amongst the network news and cable, and even the reporters. We saw a reporter ask a question uh, last week, week before, at one of the press briefings that President Trump had with the Chinese Wuhan Virus Task Force, and this reporter said, there have been 50,000 Americans killed. What makes you think you deserve another term? Now, Sam Donaldson was a tough SOB. He was a tough reporter. Dan Rather, uh, all the White House. I don't think they would ever ask a slanted, biased question like that. Well, that was, really that was, was a mean-spirited question, mean -spirited. and it was disgraceful uh, because it dishonors the people and their families who have died. Um, the, the, I remember hearing that. I don't know if it was the same day or not, but and I think it was the CNN White House reporter who asked, would you say this is mission accomplished as they were thinking about closing down the task right. force? And uh, President Trump has had a pretty good run in his career. Think about all the time in New York working with the press right. where he's quick on his feet when somebody asks him a question like that. Now, that's an insincere question. It's, totally. meant, it's meant as a gotcha. It's a sure reference it's. to President when President Bush said mission accomplished, and it was maybe right. premature to say that, or certainly the press worked it up that way. But it was, it was a snotty question, and that is the tenor of the times. That's the way that reporters think their role is. Somewhere along the way, they have become more than what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be there representing the American people, asking tough questions, that's okay. Nobody said it's a good idea to have snotty questions and for that to be good part of learning things in the republic here. If you want freedom of the press, there's some basic responsibilities. One of them is just being a decent human being. One of the storylines we keep hearing from some of the network reporters is that President Trump doesn't have compassion. He doesn't have empathy. He really has only spent five minutes talking about the number of people, the deaths, and hasn't gone out to see any families of people that have been affected by the Chinese Wuhan virus. First of all, every time a reporter says, in fact, one reporter said, asked, how many deaths is acceptable? Which, again, was another BS question, and President Trump, without hesitation, said, none, none, none. He said it three times. And he said, one is too many. And every time he said that, he said, look, we've had 50,000 deaths, and one is too many. And, I, you know, I want zero. He has made it a point to say that, yet they keep attacking him. And I really believe whether you're Democrat, Republican, people kind of see through that nonsense. Look, the diehard Republicans are going to vote President Trump, the diehard Democrats. It's the independent. It's the people in the middle that always change the election. And people in the middle are looking at this, and I've talked to many independents, and they said, you know, the gotcha thing is really low class. It, it, there's, it's no integrity. There's no question there's going to be plenty of time to do a postmortem afterward and say, okay, where do we go right, where do we go wrong, just like after 9-11 or any other incident that takes place. Right. But the time now, I really believe many of the reporters are doing the, uh, they're doing the propaganda and disinformation for the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, they're, they're towing the line for China hook, line, and sinker. 
it's unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. I think that there is a, uh, a mentality in the cable press especially, cable news people, where the morning meeting where they talk about what stories they'll cover that every day have become get Trump meetings. Now, I believe that because of what I see them go after each day. And you brought up some questions that they were asked, and I think in that same press conference, I think they said, what, what do you want to say to the families who've lost loved right. ones? And his answer was very impressive for him, because uh, you don't hear him talk this way. And the first thing that he said is, I want to tell them that I love them. And I think that threw the reporter and everybody else off guard, and you didn't see them go down that road, because that was a disarming answer that he doesn't often give. Right. Uh, no question. And, and look, you can find fault. I don't care what the president is. You can always find fault. But I think when we live in a nation of, whether it's Fox News or whether it's CNN or MSNBC or, or a print reporter, I don't think people like gotchas. I don't think people, you know, I don't think people like when they see people that are genuinely trying to do their best railroaded. Now, if they're fraudulent or they have no integrity, that's a different story. But I really believe that most people don't like when people go down a gotcha question just for the sake of trying to railroad somebody. If it's your only play, it's the only way that you can ask questions, I think it becomes a bore very quickly. I've got one for you. On March 19th, who said, New Yorkers wearing masks? Hey, we never would do that. Lockdown? Hey, we would never do that. Got to be Bill de Blasio or Governor Cuomo. Governor Cuomo. Right. Yes, but you see. Now he's a saint. If on March 19th, a Republican or Donald Trump were to have said that, what would be going on in the media right now? I try to work in the middle. As best I can, I have my own bias. But I will say it's very unfair in the press right now. Trump was taken to task because he blocked the airlines, you talked about this earlier, to China. That was January 31st. That was January 31st. Right. And meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi, a month later, is in San Francisco saying, come to Chinatown in San Francisco. It's great. We're here to support it. You had Bill de Blasio and his health commissioner saying, come to the lunar, uh, was it Lunar New Year in New York's Chinatown. That's right. It's safe. Don't worry about it. Everything is great. But the press doesn't go after that. So my feeling is, if you're going to go after somebody for being late, then why don't you go after all those other people on the other side of the aisle as well? Fairness. I think ultimately what people want, just fairness. That's it. I think fairness wins always. And I think the audience is looking for fairness. And it is, without being self-serving and plugging, it is the next project that I'm working on. I'm going to bring to market an app for free. People can find news. And we'll be presenting it in a very fair and above-board way where you make your own mind up. In fact, that's one of our mantras. We'll, we'll give you the information. You figure out what to think. And it won't be telling you what to think. And I think that's going to go over very well. I think there's a growing middle of right. the audience out there that wants that type of knowledge. Even people who are fans of uh, MSNBC or Fox, I have seen research where they want to venture out and see what's going on on the other side. Right. They want to know what other people are saying. Because there's a curiosity for knowledge that we all share and we all have. Bill Carey, 40-year major market newsroom veteran, started at CBS News, seen the changes in broadcast news. You got a new app. What's the new app going to be Rosebud. called? Rosebud. Rosebud. Hopefully it'll be in the app stores, Google, Apple, and Roku uh, sometime this month in May. I would like to say as early as the 15th. We'll see. All right. And again, give us your Twitter handle one more time. 
Twitter is Bill Carey, B-I-L-L-C-A-R-E-Y, and the number two, Bill Carey 2. Bill Carey, state of broadcast and cable news. Ultimately, what people want, very simple, fairness. We need a fair media that doesn't do the propaganda disinformation work of the Chinese Communist Party. I'll have more on that next week. Also next week, we'll be talking about Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's known that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine has worked. In fact, I've got the hard data to show it, and he's got it too. So we'll spend time on that. As always, Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delicatio, always pleasure. MAGA, double A, make America great again, again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the Chinese Communist Party. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Love you, Cigar Mother and Alpha Mother Piera. To all the other mothers out there, have a great Mother's Day.